Hey guys, it's Drew from the Santa Scene Podcast. I just wanted to give you guys a quick update before we get into the episode. So as many of you noticed, it's been about two weeks since we put out our last show. Um, and I'm the one who does all the editing and deals with getting the shows out. And Ryan kind of handles more of the marketing and social media end. So the reason you haven't seen an episode is a few weeks is because about two weeks ago, we had an emergency with my family. Um, my grandmother actually broke her knee. So we have been dealing with that. So I kind of got a little sidetracked handling what I needed to. And we just never got the episode out last week. So I wanted to apologize to you guys, but let you know I'm back on track. I think I've got everything under control now. So please sit back, enjoy this week's episode, and we look forward to many more. Thanks, guys. Hello, 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 friends, all of you who are locked up in quarantine at the time of recording this. Welcome back to the Santa Seed Podcast. I'm Drew Zimmerman with my co-host, as always. Hi, everybody. It's Ryan Sharp. So, Ryan, we're locked up in quarantine at the time we are making this episode. We could still be in quarantine by the time this episode comes out. How are you handling it? It's all right. I think it's just about adjusting your schedule and getting a new routine on your belt. All right. So, as always, welcome to our podcast, This Ain't a Scene. We, uh, this podcast is, I, I, I don't know, I guess I would say that Ryan and I's background is in punk and pop punk music. Um, but we try to talk about a little bit of everything. We try to include everybody. Of course, we're never going to be able to include everybody. Um, and, and the point I'm making, Ryan, is I, I think we need to bring up a topic that I think we're going to get some feedback from our viewers and our listeners. And I think we're going to get some good input from them. But I, uh, the one thing I would like to point out is that we are making these episodes two, three at a time in advance of the releasing of them. So some of these, like this episode, you know, we're recording it now, but it might not be out for four or five weeks. So I, I, I want everybody to just keep that in mind when they're listening to us, that if you're upset about something, realize that I, we recorded these episodes weeks ago. So it's, it's going to be hard for me to go back and fix something if I've upset or offended anybody, or if, you know, we've said something you don't agree with. So that's why we encourage you get on our social medias, follow us, if you have something you're upset about or something that you would like to discuss, please comment and we will gladly talk to you about it. You know, we won't apologize for our way, opinions, but the best way to cope with that is having a conversation, not an argument. I agree. But anyway, so going off of that, if you are listening to us, we appreciate you coming back as always. Thank you for not making this just Ryan and I talking to each other. We'd like to think somebody enjoys our company. That one guy. The one guy who probably lives in Iowa because I'm just picking a random state. Corey Taylor's second cousin. <laughs> Isn't everybody in Iowa Corey Taylor's cousin? Uh, no, there's actually some cities in Iowa. Des Moines uh, and the one from the Amer where the American Pickers guys are from. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, if you are listening to us, please as always give us a four or five star review. It really helps us. It makes it easier for people to find us because it could put us, you know, it potentially puts us in a charting position that somebody might see us because they just look at what the most popular podcast of the week were. So if, you know, you review us highly, people might find us, they might like us too. And then who knows, maybe you get more episodes out of it. Or maybe you just give us one star and we just give up on this and 
Ryan and I go back to just sitting in quarantine alone and bored. We're always going to find ways to be publicized. Indeed we are. All right. So this week, uh, the, the discussion is one I'm excited about. And I'm actually leading discussion this week. Of course, if you've listened to us before, Ryan and I take turns leading our discussion for the day. Um, the discussion we are talking about is comeback albums. And we'll get into that in just a little bit on what we feel are comeback albums. But uh, to start off, uh, Ryan, do you have an underrated band this week? I do. And it's a heavy one. Ooh. It's a band that doesn't Scary. sound like current heavy music, but they're a current band. They're a new band. They're called Renounced. And Renounced brings you early 2000s metalcore, metallic hardcore. So think of Misery Signals meets One King Down. And a song that I really suggest you listening to would be a Self-Inflicted. And it came off their full-length record, which I believe dropped last year. Sweet. Where are they from? Any idea? Really good music. I don't think they're American. No. Okay. Let me check. I you mean, talk about yours, and I'll let you know where Renounced mine is, is from. Again, this week I didn't go under, as underground. Um, of course, when we talk about underrated bands, we can talk about bands that are current that we think just don't get the attention they're worth. We could be talking about bands you've never heard of. We've done both so far. Um, but this week... Um, I got a little encouragement from watching a live stream last night. Um, I was watching Chris Rowe last night, of course, the front man of the older, he doesn't call himself <laughs> punk, he calls himself rock and roll, but they're, they're a punk band. I'm sorry, Chris. It's uh, the Ataris. I I was talking to a couple people, I shared the live stream, and a couple people started talking to me, and I realized just how underrated they actually are to some people because a couple people said to me, you know, why are you watching a live stream of an album he's playing? Because their only hit was a cover song. And yeah, sure. Boys of Summers, their version of Boys of Summer is freaking great, but the song's great. You know, you had Don Henley writing it with the guitar player from Tom Petty. You know, it's like, of course it's going to be a decent song, but I, you know, Chris Rowe has his faults. He's had a lot of controversy, I guess we can say over the years, just with, you know, scenes he's caused at shows and different things like that. But that, you know, everybody has their faults. I feel like he's grown a lot in the last 10 years since then. And, I mean, when you when you think about it, they really are an underrated band. I mean, I watched him play the entire So Long Astoria album last night, front to back, and that's a good album, you know? And everybody only gives him credit for that cover song that he did. But that So Long Astoria, like the musicianship and the chord structuring and the, especially the lyrics and storytelling. It's a good album. Grand. San Dismas, what is it? High School Rolls or? San Dimas, yeah. That song called? Yeah, San, San Dimas. Dimas. That's, on, uh, that's on their Blue Skies uh, Next 12 Exits album. And that's a good album too. I mean, granted, they've only had two really good albums in my opinion, but those two albums are so underrated in my opinion. So that, that, that he's going to be my underrated band this week just because of that. Do they have a song, or they have an album called "End Is Forever"? Yes, I like that album. Yeah, see, they, he's, he's got good albums, and they're completely underrated. You know, they were small stage at Warp Tour the, a couple years ago, and I saw them. Like, come on! All What's right, that song, "Summer Winds" or something. It's a good song. It is a good one. Yeah. All right. I don't know what album's off of, but I like it. Yeah, let's let's get to it. All right. I like the Ataris too. I love the Ataris. They need more they need more attention. So underrated band. 
All right, Ryan, why don't you tell our lovely people what your top five this week for us is? We're going to bring you the funk. We're going to bring you a little bit of what a lot of people don't recognize in rock music, <laughs> and that's the bass guitar. It's not just the bass guitar that they don't recognize. They don't recognize the bass player, except Pete Wentz. Yeah, he doesn't play lead guitar. <laughs> that's Joe. And he's not the lead singer of Fallout Boy, all you teeny bopper chicks. Stop saying it's Pete Wentz. Damn it. So when I was picking my top five bass lines, which is the top five for this week, I thought of intros of songs. And I thought of signature intros led by bass. Yeah, it's kind of where I went with it, too. I was kind of thinking just that way. All right, what do you got? I, got, I, I have a hunch that we might have two that collide here. I have, I have a hunch. Number five, Miss Murder by AFI. Ooh, that's a good one. I didn't think of that one. That wasn't even on my list that I made when I was thinking about the Number four, Longview yeah, there by it is. Green Day. I, I knew we were going to collide on that one. It's on my list, too. It's a good. It's just every bass player I know knows that Longview riff. Everybody knows that Longview riff. Number three, my favorite band in the whole entire world, and my second favorite bass player in the whole entire world. Around the World by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, Mr. Flea. Even Give It give it Away has a good bass line, too. It does. Yeah. yeah. And my favorite bass player of all time, Les Claypool from Primus. <laughs> and the Primus song I picked, Please tell John me. the Fisherman. Oh, I I was going to say either that or My Name is Mud. Actually, Jerry or Race My name's Mud Heavy. Nah, that song sucks. Uh, it sounds like, yeah, dude. Nah, I'm not even going to see what it sounds like. Did you like. see the thing I put on Facebook probably about a month or so ago? Um, it says what Primus sounds like to people who don't listen to Primus. And it's just a drummer and no. a bass player. And then a video of Boomhauer from King of the Hill talking. <laughs> <laughs> Primus is good. It's pretty creative. You should listen to Primus. It's pretty creative. They're, they're all right. They're a little weird. I'll forewarn you, Primus is a little weird, but they're good musicianship. Was that your number one? My number one. Oh, here it is. Nah, What's your number I was one? No, I was number two. Number one, one of my favorite whole, maybe my favorite bands in the whole world. Not Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're my favorite band of all time. This band's definitely my top 20, but this band has the best vocalists in the history of music. And... This bass line is super underrated, and the song's super underrated, even though it's from probably their most popular record, The Real Thing, Falling to Pieces by Faith No More. I wouldn't have guessed that. It's a good list. Thanks, man. Now, Appreciate I, it. My list was tough. I would like to point out, I thought of Tool. Obviously, I thought of Primus. And if you are a bass player and you don't listen to anything, the Tool, Primus, Flea from Chili Peppers, or... Um, Getty Lee from Rush. James Addiction. If, if you don't listen to those oh, yeah. four bass players, you shouldn't play bass. Those who those are who you should try to be. But in my opinion, here's my top five. I actually went a little more seen than you did, I think, on this one. So I'm pretty proud of myself. So number five, I have old Mike Herrera from MXPX with Chick Magnet. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good pick. Uh, number four, I have Feel Good, Inc. by the Gorillas. Nice. Whole song is bass-led. Now, is that the bass player from Blur? He's playing that? I don't know. It's the monkey in the video. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Did the bass player from Blur play in the Gorillas? Oh, the guy from Blur definitely is the Gorillas. Hmm. Didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. I'll look into that. 
Um, number three, of course, you and I both picked it, Longview by Green Day. Number two, I'm surprised you didn't think of this one, but this is this is older. Uh, Carousel by Blink-182. Yeah, that's... That's old Blink. That's like what? Cheshire Cat or whatever? Yeah, that's old. Yeah, it's a forgettable album. Forgettable it is, album. but that bass line, man. If you've never listened... Have you heard, have you heard Carousel before? Yeah, not oh, a fan. Oh, that bass line's incredible. And number one... Just because I think it is a baseline that changed the face of the planet, "Billy Jean" by Michael Jackson. Sure, that's respectable. You can listen to that song more than just Halloween. That baseline's a bitch. I know a lot of bass players yeah. who actually put a capo on their bass to play that baseline, which is completely cheating, and you should never use a capo on a bass. But if it gets you to play the baseline, play the bass. I know nothing about guitar. Nothing. I know what a capo is. Yeah, it uh, looks like one of those things that you would seal a bag of chips with, but it's for your <laughs> guitar. That's today's moral uh, lesson from our podcast. We didn't have a lesson last week. Um, we ended up back in the hip-hop topic, so I was going to go off of don't be a rapper named Little Anything. But this this week's topic is Brian suggests uh, if you want a fancy bag clip, instead of buying the cheap ones at the dollar store, go buy a guitar capo from a music store. That's today's lesson. For it has you. a lot of uses. Yep, It's not just for guitar. It can be used for sealing that beautiful bag of Frito-Lay. Or woodworking. If you're trying to glue some blocks of wood together and you need something like clamp, get a, get a, get a capo. No, I if you want to pinch yourself. <laughs> I don't think they'll be selling capos anytime soon at Home Depot. All right, Ryan, are you ready for our discussion this week, man? Yeah, this is a really interesting topic. Um, okay, so we're talking comeback albums. So what what is a comeback album in my opinion? So comeback album. Actually, you know what? I'm going to ask Ryan. What is your opinion of a comeback album? What would you consider a comeback album? A band that had their peak. They broke up had to be at least what six years since that last record came out whether that was their most popular album or not and whether they broke up or came on a hiatus they went back in the studio and that's the product i'd say that would be a comeback album okay now before we get into this here's some other things i thought of so i thought of the hiatus aspect the biggest thing i thought about as a comeback album to me is other than hiatus take a band who hasn't had a good album in years and then all of a sudden they put out an album that crushes and puts them right back on the map. I consider that a comeback album because in music, of course, you know, there, there's a flow to an artist. You know, an artist is going to go, they're going to rise and then they're going to peak and they're going to drop. So in my opinion, who put out, I also included people who put out albums that they were on their way out of the bubble. And they put out an album that helped them re-peak again. So I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I feel like that's a good comeback album as well other than people who went on hiatus absolutely um the other thing i considered too is singers who switched bands after some failed albums okay or bands who have had a death in the band and they took some time off or they got a new member and they came right back at it strong so i'm, I'm gonna start a little old on you and I, I bring up those two points because the first two that i want to talk about aren't really in you and i's they're in our realm, but they're not in the punk Warp Tour realm. Okay. However, I think if back in the day, if Warp Tour existed, they would be. So the first two albums, I think, that are good examples of comeback albums. I'm going to start with Back in Black by ACDC. And most people won't consider that a comeback album because they're like, oh, well, Highway to Hell was the album before that. That's a good album. Yes. But most people fail to remember Bon Scott died after they put out Highway to Hell. Right. Their original singer died. And Brian Johnson came in on Back in Black and took over. So to me, 
that band putting an album out and then just a few years later getting a new singer, dealing with the death of their original one, and turning around and putting out another successfully commercial album. That's honestly, I think if you ask somebody to name two ACDC albums, they're going to pick these two. Definitely. Them to come back with a new singer and put out an album that sells just as well, if not better than Highway to Hell, is absolutely a comeback to me. I mean, you, you see bands where somebody will die in the band and it just wrecks the band. I mean, look at Lincoln Park. Since Chester's died, we haven't heard anything from them. Mike Shinoda tried to put out a solo album and it absolutely tanked, in my opinion. You know? Yeah, like he was... Like, Mike Shinoda was super creative in that solo effort, but, like, I think he was trying to be creative, but he was trying to use the fame with Fort Minor and remember the name and how it became such a jock anthem. Right. That it got to the point where it was almost just not... It, it, it just didn't collab well. The two different areas of what he was good at. Right, I agree, 100%. So, that was the first album. The second album I want to talk about, which came out the same year as Back in Black, and had just as much success, which is crazy because they're so similar. And this just shows you how big like rock and heavy metal back then was. Blizzard of Oz comes out in 1980 from Ozzy. And nobody would think wow. of that as a comeback album because it's Ozzy's first album. But keep in mind, this first solo album was after Sabbath had Never Say Die and Technical Ecstasy come out, which absolutely didn't do shit for them as a band. Right. And then they turned around because of that and they fired Ozzy from Sabbath. So for him to turn back around and go, all right. And he puts out this solo album with Randy Rhodes on it and it just killed dude. Yeah. Crazy train is absolutely one of the biggest songs of the eighties. And for Ozzy to come out of a sab from that mess with Sabbath and do this, I, I accredit that album to a lot of the reason Sabbath brought him back. A few years later. Sure, sure. It was convenient for them. And right. that's what I have a problem with the Black Sabbath because they always were about convenience. They were always about oh, sure. doing what's in the spotlight and doing what the people wanted, not doing right. what they wanted. By the way, side note, uh, I, I met a girl who's actually the granddaughter of Bill Ward who drums for Black Sabbath. Wow. She's a, she's really snooty. I don't like her. <laughs> that's right. crazy. So moving along. So- I'm going to talk about this band next, not because their album that they put out is as old, but because this band's old. So a couple of years ago, I don't know if you should know this band. There was an album came out titled MBV. Do you know who I'm talking about? MBV. Yeah. It's the first album in 22 years for this band. It didn't do much in the U.S. But Does the V stand for like a Roman numeral? Actually, it doesn't. So MBV is a self, almost pretty much, I'm going to call it self-titled album from a band called My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. It was their first album they put out in 22 years, and it did really well for them over in Europe. So I'm I'm calling that a comeback too, because think about it. You haven't, been a, you haven't put out an album in 22 years. I mean, Tool hasn't put out an album in 22 years. Or, well, felt like it, but Tool put out an album recently, which would consider a comeback album. And I know a lot of Tool fans who weren't really happy with that album, but the album charted for Tool, so it's technically a comeback album, but I know a lot of fans weren't really happy with that album. Dude, it wouldn't matter what that album sounded like. If they went all Wiggles and Kids Bop, dude, people would still love it. Oh, yeah, because it's Tool. That's the thing about a band that has a cult following. Mm-hmm. and a band that has a huge rapid fan base when the band's really good 
I like all their albums. I like their material, but they could do whatever they wanted to do. And Fear, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Fear and Calium or Fear and Sallium or something like that. I've listened to it a couple times straight through. It's a good album. They definitely gave the fans what they wanted. They could have done anything. But, and there, of course, there's gonna be people that are going to hate on it because they wanted the band to be more in- innovative to the times. All right, sure. So uh, speaking of like bands that you think could do no wrong, you have the Red Hot Chili Peppers, for example. A lot of people like Chili Peppers. They're one of those bands, to me, it's weird. So when you think of the Chili Peppers and the Foo Fighters, these are two bands that are globally huge, but not very requested for like karaoke or radio stations or like even even my band. Like we'll play Everlong and pe- some people will just stand there and look at us like we're weird because they've never they don't know the song, but they're still huge bands. So you have a band like the Chili Peppers who you think could do no wrong, but then they put out this trash album called One Hot Minute, and it just oh that's a good album ah oh, but it didn't do it didn't do as well as that bloody sexy Mary album before it. Dave Navarro on guitar from Jane's Addiction. Oh, dude, that's a good album. But you talk about an album that I'm considering more of a comeback album. At least sure. at least on a public level, you have Californication come out right after one hot minute. And that album charted big for them. You know, it might it's it's a loose interpretation of a comeback album because I feel like Chili Peppers have always been on like a plateau where they peaked and they've never really dropped per se. But I felt like Californication was more of a comeback from, you know, oh, we put out this good album and had a couple charts on it. We put out one hot minute, didn't do as well publicity wise as we wanted. And then here's Californication, which honestly was my first intro into the Chili Peppers when that album came out. I agree totally. The public and their fan base and the world did not like one hot minute. And it's pretty apparent to see that there's some stupid songs on that album, but there's some ripping riffs from Dave himself from Jane's addiction. And in my opinion, it's their third best album and it's their most unique sounding album. All right. So I got one more, more mainstream act to throw at you. I have one I'm saving for the end. Cause it's, I'm going to put it on a pedestal cause I like that person. So let's talk about Disney's golden children, the Jonas Brothers. So they put out their last album was 2009. They break up and do solo projects. Nick does his own thing, gets a tour with Demi Lovato, has a couple other tours. Joe starts DNCE and puts out one of the biggest pop albums of that year. Probably, I would put it in the top 100 of a decade. So they get back together, and after nine years of not doing anything together, they put just out of the blue, put out this album called happiness begins just like that. They're back. And it's an album like they never left off. Some people would argue, well, they didn't really drop in popularity, but here's the thing. That's a comeback to me. They didn't work together in nine years. The one, one of the members, you know, he, he didn't even do music in that time period. So to me, them coming back after nine years and putting out this album that just has honestly charted just as big as their last album did i i think is a comeback sure i agree all right now let's get a little more let's get more into this ain't a scene stuff so (laughs) they made the list this week for top five for both of us let's talk about green day okay know where i'm going with this i think you know where i'm going with. i think so dookie comes out in 94 insomniac comes out a few years later between then to 2004 they put out Three more albums, 
four technically, if you include the uh, International Super Hits album. They put out Shenanigans, which was an awful album. I, I do not like Shenanigans. I thought that album's terrible. They put out Nimrod. Nimrod's got some stuff on it, you know. Time of Your Life's on that album, and it charts, of course. But other than that, not much going on on that album. You put out Warning, a couple good songs in there for Green Day fans. It was a completely different Green Day sound, for sure. It was a lot more. That album was a lot more mellow to me. And then 2004 hits, and American Idiot drops. What, what are your th- I feel like that is an album that put Green Day back on the map and gave Dookie a run for its money, really. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, it's a rock opera. It's combining damn Broadway, mainstream rock, and their somewhat of their roots, not too much of it. But I think during the time where they saw the success of Dookie, and then they started making these albums that I, I'm going to be completely blunt. I think Insomniac and Nimrod are some of the best that you're going to hear from Green Day. Oh, I love Insomniac. I love that it's stuff. It's music that's super catchy. And it flows from track to track. And before you know it, the album's over. Dookie's a great album. American Idiot's a great album. But they saw what worked and what didn't work. And they are obviously passionate about their political beliefs. And they combined that into a rock opera and a concept album to which American Idiot is. And they knew at the time... I think they're really good at reading what was working and what wasn't. And they knew from their fan base and the following that they had that this is their chance to do something different and it worked it absolutely i think it absolutely worked right and i mean i love insomniac i i like some stuff on nimrod and warning not as much as insomniac shenanigans i you could take all 12 14 songs and throw them in the garbage as far as i'm concerned but you know that's what i mean like you know they put out dookie and Dookie, I feel like Dookie was easier for them because they had put out four EPs prior to getting signed and putting Dookie out. So they knew from those EPs what the bangers were, and they stole a couple songs from them. And of course, they wrote some for Dookie, but they already had some good starting ground for Dookie. Like when I come around, they wrote years before Dookie was out. Same with Welcome to Paradise. So, you know, they had some good starting ground, but then they put that album out. It just blows everybody's brains out because of how good it is. And then they spend the next, you know, ten years basically chopping albums, trying to figure out what people want. And then they put out American Idiot, and it was just not only was it a controversial album, but my God, I mean, the success of it—they turned it in. The amount of touring they got from that, and they toured for that album for years. And then you turn around, and they had a Broadway about it, and that Broadway then ended up going on tour as well. The fashion element to it too. Like the black dress shirt buttoned down with the red tie. That's that's changed like everybody's dream of being in a band. Yep. Like you're probably at some point, if you play guitar and you sing, you're probably gonna wanna be like Billy Joe wearing that same outfit. I had a I had a white Les Paul when I was in high school and one of my first one of the biggest shows I played in high school, I wore Classic high top chucks, black skinny jeans, a black button down with a red tie. And, and I think that that album to me was like what Straight Out of Compton was back in the 90s and 80s. Like it was an album that was put out not giving a, a shit about what anybody thought or cared. They wanted to put out what they wanted to put out and they did. And it 
made such an impact in a political movement at the time. So, you know, I will always applaud that album. All right. We'll go a little more underground and then we'll come back up here. So, all right. Blink has had a very solid plateau of popularity for a long time. Now, most people would argue after take off your pants and jackets, it started to go down. So then we see this hiatus. Blink breaks up. Plus 44 forms, Angels and Airwaves forms, both very good bands. Angels and Airwaves obviously had way more commercial success. So they get back together and they put out Neighborhoods. Now, a lot of people didn't like Neighborhoods. What did you think of Neighborhoods? I got asked this question recently, and I told that person asking that question that I didn't like it. So I was challenged to go back and listen to it because it's been probably five or six years. It's a good album. And my opinion changed because I started listening to different music five, six years ago. I just listened to pop punk and hard rock and maybe some alternative, like the hot fuss from the killers and maybe some Kings of Leon. Like I, that would be my far extent. But if you listen to neighborhoods, it's a really well done record. And there are elements specifically that I think are interesting. It has a lot of new wave influence, it has some new order. It has some Depeche Mode. It has some Duran Duran vibe to it. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but if you go back and listen to Neighborhoods and you're familiar with new wave music, you're going to hear it, especially Ghost on the Dance Floor. That's one of the songs, right? First song on the album. Would, would you argue that maybe some of the new wave and alternative influence came from Tom doing Angels and Airwaves? Because keep in mind, plus 44, Mark... And Tom or Mark and Travis did, but it was still very much more of a in the punk realm, I would argue. Oh, definitely. Yeah, punk realm, but I think plus forty four, we're gonna talk about that. I think that gave Travis Barker an excuse to do any drum fill he wanted to do. He's done some crazy <laughs> stuff on that one record that came out. He does whatever he wants to do. And anyway. Yeah, and like neighborhoods, I think. Well, self titled is when he was like, ah, dude, don't be innovative. If you think back a song on the self-titled for Blink-182 features Robert Smith from The Cure. Mm-hmm. So the this trio of guys that wrote really immature songs in the past, they don't just listen to no effects and social distortion. They listen to literally everything. They have a wide eclectic range and in, in interest in other music. And I think that with the combination of the self-titled, which had Awesome. It's a great album, but Neighborhoods is like the second part of the self-titled. Sure. In my opinion. Right. And I mean, you can see their influences in different... I mean, look at Travis. He put out that solo hip-hop album, which I have. And it's, you know... Musically, there's some things I feel like he could have done differently. But as far as like being a good album, it's a pretty decent album. I haven't listened to it. Well, I'll have it. I'll send you it. It's it's pretty good. You gotta. He's got a lot. There's a lot of guest features on it, but so yeah, I, I think I know a lot of people who were Blink fans didn't like Neighborhoods. I feel like those are the people who still want Buddha and Cheshire Cat Blink back. They were the same people who they like take off your pants and jackets, but it wasn't enema to them. But I, you know, Neighborhoods had four songs on it that did really well for them. Yeah. So. I feel like it was a, it wasn't the comeback 
everybody thought they were going to have, but it was a solid comeback enough to be like, hey, we're still here. Right. And then when you think about it, Blink's had two comeback albums. So you have that. Then you have California come out, which is post Tom being fired or him quitting, yep. whatever you want to, whichever story you want to side with. But here's a band who it's been the three of them for forever. Nobody else, just the three of them. And Tom, who is one of two main singers, leaves and the only guitar player. That could change the sound dramatically. And they put out California and it, the sound changed a bit, but kudos to Matt Skiba for coming into that position. That's a, that's a scary set of shoes to fill for a band like that. And he comes in and they put out California and California had two songs that made radio. What songs are those? Bored to Death and... Bored to Death and Out of Her Mind. Okay. So for me, I feel like Blink is one band that's had two comeback albums, personally. No, I couldn't agree more. I think with Matt Skiba contributing what he's learned with Alkaline Trio, which I think is a really awesome, not pop punk band, but I guess you just call them a punk band. I, I'd they call have them done... a rock band. I just leave them at rock. Sure. They're solid. Sure. Yeah, they have some great records, and I it was kind of scary. I agree, because I didn't like the fact that Tom wasn't going to be in Blink, but when I listened to the first record with Matt Skiba, I was like, all right, like he's doing a good job. Like it works with well with like the summer vibe that the album was working with, and then his vocals, like it connected. And you listen to Alkaline Trio, they don't have a lot of summertime albums. So when I listened to that single for the first time, Bored to Death, God, dude, this is great. And Matt Skiba's in this, and that's when I knew it worked. That's when I knew it would click. Granted, there's nothing like watching Blink with Tom DeLong singing a bit out of key or off time, but okay. So now we start digging. Let's talk about a band called Silverstein a little bit. We'll get a little heavier into your old school realm. Name the last time Silverstein put out a decent album. 2020. <laughs> Fair point. Okay. All right. That's an ass over here. Great. Shane Told is listening and he's just Ryan's sucking up to him. All right. That's a good album, Shane. Yeah. Shane's a cool guy. You should listen to Silverstein and listen to Shane's solo stuff. Shane's a, I opened for him a few years ago in Pittsburgh and he's a super nice guy. He's really cool. And he likes Paps Blue Ribbon, if you're curious. So buy him beer. Is the Canadian. He also he funny story about Silverstein. When I opened for him on that show, we I have a hoodie that I sell in my merch, and he made a joke um, that we were selling bunny hugs, and I'd never heard that term. And I thought, what do you mean I'm selling bunny hugs? So in Saskatchewan, Canada, apparently, in that area of Canada, they call a hoodie a bunny hug. Now it's listed on my merch table as a bunny hug, so I can tell everybody that story. It's a good story. Thanks. Shane, Why? Because it's soft. I have I mean, no idea. They just that's what they call it in Saskatchewan. That's so your, I'm gonna go get a protest the hero bunny what bunny hug bunny hug. So that's your uh, random fun fact of the week from courtesy of Shane told from Silverstein. So anyway, Silverstein puts out a shipwreck in the sand. Good album had some of their biggest songs on it. Put out this is how the wind shifts, which was an okay album. It has one of my favorite Silverstein songs on it, Massachusetts. But I agree. But then the next, but it never really did. I think it it didn't change them like a shipwreck in the sand did. In 2017, they put out an album. 
and I wanted to talk about this because this is something I'm considering a comeback because of watching what happened. They put an album called Dead Reflections out in 2017. Some of the songs on that are very different sounding for Silverstein, of course. They put out one song that was mostly just straight, like they're more of, I would consider post-hardcore, probably. Rock. Just rock. So they put out Dead Reflections. They put out a song that was very, very, very pop punk on that album. They ended up, I was watching them at Warped Tour, and this is when I knew that this album changed this band. They they put this album out and they play Warped Tour and they ended up, they went from ending with like Smile in Your Sleep or My Heroine or Vices to now they're ending to the Afterglow, which was this pop punk song on Dead Reflections. So that was the time for me when I realized Silverstein just put out the biggest hit they've put out. In over a decade. I, I don't know how you feel about them, but I, I would call the 2017 album like the rebirth of Silverstein. I think a couple things. I I think the first thing that comes to mind is the, the state and what people wanted at that time when Dead Reflections came out. Beartooth was big, and they had a lot of success. And then they saw it. They saw a lot of pop-punk success. They saw the catchiness coming back in at one point in the two thousands, I think catchiness wasn't what people wanted, but when 2017 comes back through, people want those choruses to sing alongs, especially you brought up warp tour warp tour happens in the summertime. They want songs you can sing along to and have nostalgia eventually. And I think I agree with you. I don't know if I call it a comeback album, but I really like what you said about Massachusetts because I think that's Silverstein's best song. Oh, I love that. And I'm song. not listening to their whole discography. I can't say I know every single song, but I do want to talk about a little bit about what I think of their 2020 album. I think it's a really good album. I haven't listened I think to it it's yet. Really so talk cool to me about it. How almost every song has a feature of a band they've toured with, mm-hmm. or a band that has looked up to Silverstein as an influence. Because a lot of the features are bands that are newer, and there are a few that have maybe influenced Silverstein. So I think that is a really awesome move on their part. And I really enjoy listening to albums that have lead singers of other bands. And I think that since Silverstein did it, everything Silverstein writes is pretty much catchy. That's one thing that I think is great for them one critique i have of the whole band their whole discography and once again i haven't listened to whole discography but i've listened to definitely at least five songs from each album they put out major albums they've put out and while they're all very catchy a lot of it seems bland after a while when you look when you look back and listen to the songs if you listen to the new 2020 album that just came out none of the songs are bland i can understand why some people would call it generic but all the songs sound different and they took their time with the album. They released the right songs that should have been the singles to create the hype. Mm-hmm. They did the marketing really well. And the album is maybe one of their best from what I've heard. All right. So sticking in this realm, band comes out. They have six people, two singers, and one of the singers is a drummer. They come out. They have, eh, you know, it was okay. They switch front men. And they have their first commercially successful album. Do you know who I'm thinking of? 
I was going to say under oath, but that's you not are. It. That's it. Oh, you're talking from Dallas Taylor. They switched. Okay. To, they switched from Dallas to Spencer, and they have two solid albums back to back. I would say. I'd hope they're, you're they're talking. only chasing yep. safety and to find the great line. Yep. Of course, those two albums okay. come out. Yeah, huge for that band. Okay, they go on. It's okay, and all of a sudden members start leaving. Of course, there's fights breaking out. Guys want to have families. They start leaving. The last album you really see. The what would can, people would consider mostly original lineup is 2008. So they put out an album that lost in the sound of separation, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. And then 2010, they get enough people together and they put out an album for their breakup called Disambiguous. 2010. Nobody hears anything. Nobody hears anything. Spencer starts Sleep Wave and starts doing some small touring. You know, Aaron plays with Paramore for a little bit and he starts the almost and they come back together and they put out an album in 2018 called erase me. Now, while not their most successful album compared to their only chase and safety and Define the great line before they put out erase me, they announced they were going to do a reunion tour and they did a reunion tour and they played both of those albums front to back and the tour sold out in almost every city. You want to talk about a comeback and they come back and they have Aaron with them again and Spencer and mostly all the original guys who were around for those two albums. And they come back together. The tour goes so well that they decide they're going to put out an album out and they put a race me out. And there's a couple good songs on the album. I don't think it did as well for them as chasing safety or to find the great line, but that's a comeback. That's a big comeback getting everybody back together after everything they went through and all the fights and everybody wanted to leave and do their own things and, all that mess that they went through. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I really think some of that race me material was some unfinished sleep wave stuff. Spencer started singing. He started some new vibes with sleep wave. I think, I think sleep wave is underrated. I think a lot of bands have adopted that type of sound later on. Sure. And I really, I don't really care for sleep wave, but Erase Me is a good album, and I think it is their most successful mainstream album because if we look at their only chasing safety and define the great line, which was limited because it was from an independent label, True. Solid State Records, that it was such it, it was marketed to a big Christian fan base that it didn't get mainstream attention and there was a definitely a disconnect from that band to, I guess, to what they actually really were because you listen to erase me. You understand that that isn't exactly who they've always been. And they finally got to say the things they wanted to say, whether you agree or disagree with that. It's interesting. I also want to make the point that under oath right now is probably most popular than ever. I, because I say that because they are touring of bands like Corn, and they were gearing up for a tour with Slipknot and a Dater member this summer, which I had tickets to. So, oh, did you? Oh, of course I did. Sorry to hear that, man. That little reskin. I hope that. so. That's a good lineup. I was stuck between tickets for, and I still I might do both now that they've changed. I was stuck between the mega tour with Fallout Boy, Weezer, and Green Day, or Slipknot, a Dater member, and Under Oath, and it was a tough call for me. But I saw Green Day in 2000, 
and 12 or 13, right after 21st Century Breakdown came out, a buddy and I went and saw them up at the time. It's a still time. It was Six Flags, Darien Lake in Buffalo. It's not Six Flags owned anymore, but I saw them at that amphitheater. Um, and AFI opened for them. It was a great tour. Wow. I didn't buy tickets for it because you and I have talked. I didn't like Uno Dos Trey, and I knew they were going to play a lot of that album on this tour. Not as big of a fan of the the latest album either. So I just, I'm not a big fan of the new Fall Out Boy stuff. Like, it's cool and everything, but I was just like, everything I want to see, I'm going to sit there through two hours of other bullshit until I get what I want out of it. I can listen to a lot of Slipknot. I can listen to almost every, I can listen to every Day to Remember album front to back and like all of it. And I I know Under Oath, with only having that short of a time slot being the opener, they're going to hit all the bangers because they, they're they going to try to make an impression on people who have never watched them. So I, I lean to getting tickets for that tour because of that reason. Because it's just, that's a good lineup. So you're under his point. Maybe this is getting off track, but if we're going to play Would You Rather... Would I rather get tickets to go see if it's on the same day, right? I'm obviously want to go see both shows, but if the show's in the same day and I have the choice between Slipknot, a date member, and Under Oath, or well, also you got to remember Code Orange is on that tour too. Code Orange is open. They don't open every day, but they're on most the date I bought tickets to. They are, and I like Code Orange. They're awesome. They're from Pittsburgh. I'm from Pittsburgh. Or you could get tickets for Green Day. Fall Out Boy, Weezer, and The Interrupters, which is the only relevant ska band right now. Uh, Kevin Lyman made me watch them one year at Warp Tour. They're, They're cool. cool. Kevin Kevin would do this thing where I'd show up, not to cut you off, and he would say, these are the bands that I want you to watch today. And sometimes I'd watch them by myself, or sometimes he'd be free and he'd be there watching them with me. But one of them was in The Interrupters one year. I watched them in Scranton. And... I was blown away. Yeah, it's a good band. So anyways, would you rather, which one? Epic Green Day. Really? And to your point, your point you brought up about Under Oath playing all the bangers, each band's going to only have about an hour set. There's only so many hours in the nighttime. Green Day is going to maybe play an hour and a half. So Weezer is going to be playing a lot of the hits from the Blue Album. Of course. Now they're going to play Beverly Hills. So they're going to hear the songs that you want to hear. Oh, I, I wasn't not worried so much about Back Weezer to the Shack or, or Fall Out Boy, because I think that Fall Out Boy, I, we should we should make like a episode about these tours that aren't happening this summer, but the songs that we thought that they would play, and I think Fall Out Boy would play a lot of stuff from Under the Court Tree. And I think they would even play two cuts from Take This to Your Grave. I think that They'll they would play, play Saturday. Saturday. They they all And who's did. your boy? The last time I saw Fallout Boy headline a tour, they ended with Saturday, which surprised me a lot. That was their encore. That's awesome. Their encore song was They need to keep Saturday. doing that because they understand where they came from. And I, told, I talked about this in the last episode or a couple episodes ago that Fallout Boy is a band that knows where they came from because they – are still in hardcore bands. They're still in punk bands. They still care about that DIY scene. But I still that's don't where want they to came hear from. Thurman. No, that song sucks. Yeah, see, and I, I'm gonna have to listen to that, and we have to listen to Centuries. I don't want to listen to either of those songs. I'm fine with my songs. Know what you did in the dark. That one's fine. It's a banger. But I don't want to hear Centuries or Uma Thurman. I'm sorry. I think Patrick Stump will never ever lip sync though, and I think that's something oh, no. that you are gonna get live is his beautiful voice. Oh, he absolutely sings. 
I mean, look at look at old videos of Fallout Boy. He couldn't sing where the shit back in the day, right before Under the Cork Tree came out, and then just like all of a sudden he got good, and now he sounds great. I don't know. I don't know if I dis. I, I disagree with that. I think he was a good singer and take this to your grave. We're both singers, Drew. I think there's some tough vocals on that album. Yeah, but I've seen video of him singing "Dance, Dance" and "Sugar" live before, back in the day before that album came out, and he sucked. I haven't seen that. I haven't oh, seen bad. that. So I can't. I can't say that. There's one of I don't. They were on a talk show and they were on the roof of a building in New York and they played live and he sounded like trash, man. I was like, wow, what the hell? Listen to his first solo album. That like soul soul R and B thing he had going on. Yeah. Oh, sexy. Wow. Definitely. All right. So I'm going to talk about this band. Not many people are going to care, but I don't care because this is one band out of this list that I, I could say that I'm, they would probably consider I the drummer. Definitely the front man, probably as well. And the rest of them, but I would consider myself friends with and it's Hawthorne Heights. Um, yeah, you know, they put out silence in black and white and you know, they had, they had some good songs on their first two albums. They were great, you know, really good albums. They didn't really have anything happen for them after then, you know, Casey Calvert dies and that causes all kinds of weirdness and the next couple albums. But in 2018, they put out an album and I want to talk about it because not many people think of them anymore, but they put out an album called bad frequencies and they had couple of really good songs on there that I think that album is the best commercially successful album for them since those first two original albums. When did that album come out? 2018. Okay. I've listened to a couple. I listened to the singles. I haven't listened to the whole, whole album. It's a good album, honestly. I mean, and it's, it's something I think their fans like because it's got, it's a newer, more matured Hawthorne, but it's still got that, first two album feel to it and sound yeah so we're coming back up we're getting near the end here i got a couple more so Derek wembley let's talk about him for a little bit mary daver levine gets a divorce goes through multiple rehab sessions puts out an album in 2016 called 13 voices it was the first album since 2011 it's been five years and the best sold one since 2007 when underclass hero came out because they had Screaming Bloody Murder, but that album was terrible. It was, I, honestly, I bought that album, and I'm pretty sure I listened to it twice and threw it in the garbage. Because it was just <laughs> not good. Um, but 13 Voices is big because it also was the return of Dave Bash, who was the lead guitar player, through pretty much all their albums. Like All Killer, No Filler, and Chuck. He, he comes back, and they put this album out. And it's, it's actually it's funny because it's not the original drummer on this album. It's Frank Zumo now. And Frank's a little mm-hmm. of, uh, more a hardcore guy. And this album has a feel of it. It's heavier. Like, it's a sure. lot heavier punk sounding. But I, I like the album. I think it was a good... I think I consider it a comeback album because of all the shit that Derek went through and the fact that the original guitar player is back. Yeah. Like, singers and drummers, to me, are the biggest things that can change the band's sound. Because you can replace guitar players and play the same chords and it sounds the same way. Same with bass player. But... You know, some within reason. I mean, everybody's gonna have their own feel, but a drummer never. There's not a drummer who plays exactly like another drummer. They're similar, but every drummer has always had their own feel, and that's something unlike a guitar where you play the same chord and it sounds. You know, you have the notes just like a normal song. If a drummer changes how they feel, it can change a whole band. And this is an album 
that was the first time that they did not have Steve, the original drummer. And I think Frank did a hell of a job with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it's a heavier record, but because it's an album that came out past 2010, it's definitely not going to be as commercially successful as a heavy album that they did like Chuck, because the heavier music was more acceptable in mainstream. And it's sad because probably their newest record, the last couple records, besides the one you mentioned that came out in 2010, I, I think maybe just as good as Chuck, but we're almost fooled by it because Chuck had so much hype and there's a great backstory to it that the 13 Voices, which is the album you're talking about, right? Yes. It might be just as good as Chuck, but because it's different times and because there's a different element and a different perspective, it's just not going to be as successful, which to me, that, that's tough because how can we really judge how an album sounds if we're just looking at it from the point of view of when it comes out? And that, that's tough because there's some really good tracks on that. And I, I really enjoy what Sum 41 can do. And they've really stayed true to their sound. Sure, all killer, no filler. And this is fucking infected. There's going to be more pop punk sounding records. But they have their sound, dude. And they have it down to a complete science. And they know it, they know it works. So it's, it's just weird how you can look at the era and the year. and in this case, like for comeback albums, 2017, 2018, when this record came out, how good was it for the time? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. All right. I got a couple more. So Ronnie Radke starts Escape the Fate, puts out an EP. They immediately, almost immediately get picked up by Epitaph. They put out two albums and an EP and Ronnie leaves. Goes off on his own. Four years later... Puts out an album with a new band of his called Falling in Reverse called The Drug in Me Is You. Their first album's already on Epitaph right off the bat. And just this past year got certified gold. Wow. We're not talking about a comeback for a band here. We're talking about a comeback for a singer. Yeah. That's huge to leave. That's interesting. Leave a band that was pretty big at the time in 2007 when he left. And 2011 put out an album called The Drug in Me Is You. And with a new band be on a major label right off the bat, let alone now get certified gold already. Yeah. And I, and I know a lot of people diss Ronnie. A lot of people say Ronnie's an asshole. And I, I was one of them for a while, but then honestly, ever since his daughter was born, I've watched him and him having a kid, I feel has really changed him as a person. And I look at him now and I see this asshole persona was just, it was that it was a persona. Like he was a dick. Of course, sure. but like he knew what he was doing. And this album proves that to me that, you know, everybody was like, oh, he's a dick. And it's like, yeah, but he left one band that was really successful and goes and puts out another album. Well, that record, there's so much that worked. He saw it worked with the first Escape the Fate record, right? With like, it's not good enough for tr truth and cliche situations right. the webs we weave and he connected that sound because if you remember escape the fate went to this war is ours and they went like almost this not 80s hair metal route but they went like this more like mainstream hard rock route with like skid row influence buck cherry influence i guess the dude from buck cherry was on um, 10 miles wide 
but I think he sat back and I don't know if this is when he served time in jail. I think it was. And he was really observant about what was going on. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to write a record that's not only a diss, but I'm going to diss Escape the Fate and Craig Mabbitt musically by creating a better record. And that's what he did. And The Drug Means You, that whole album, touches on a lot of different stuff in, in the genre. It's a rock album. There's, there's nothing else really that sounds like it. People can say, oh, it sounds like a Treyu or whatever. Yeah, like during that time, I, was, I guess the album came out a little bit after a Treyu's like big peak. But he brought a whole different vocal style. His vocals are what really makes Falling in Reverse, Falling in Reverse, and really what made Escape the Fate, Escape the Fate. And I'm not saying Craig Mabbitt's vocals don't do that. They do. But Ronnie Radke's vocals are interesting. And even in the next album, when he starts rapping, it's still interesting to listen to. As far as this being a comeback album, I 100% agree, because this was his chance to prove that he was the better singer, he was a better songwriter, and he did it well. All one package deal. It's a really good album. I encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, check it out. I know there's a lot, like you said, Drew, there's a lot of like negativity towards. Well, and a lot of it has to do with all the legal issues he's had. Sure. And you can't dismiss that, right? No. And you I mean, can't dismiss I, that. I guess I should correct my statement in him leaving Escape the Fate. I mean, he was planning to leave the, he was planning to leave Escape the Fate in 2008, but then he went to prison for, you know, assisted battery. Right. 2008. Well, he was on probation for it because, you know, the other guy that was with him killed that guy. But so Ronnie just got probation because he didn't obviously kill anybody. But then he violated his probation and he went to prison and then escaped the fate, fired him. So I I guess I shouldn't say he left. I should say more that he, he, he did get fired. But keep in mind, he gets out of prison in 2010 and a year later put this album out. Talk about a comeback. Yeah. He wanted to be a rock star. Even after he served his time, and it worked. It did, and I, kudos to you, Ronnie. He's dating Paige from WWE now, which is incredible. I saw that Twitch streaming a lot lately. So if you're bored, you can watch Ronnie Radke play. I think he's been playing Fortnite. I can't tell what the hell he plays. It's better than watching Ferrans play. All right, so I left these two for last because they're two of my all-time favorite artists. Of course, they're always going to be in my top five. We just talked about. So talk about Slipknot. Really good, successful band. And in 2010, bass player found dead. Dead out of nowhere. The last time they put out an album was 2008 with All Hope Is Gone. Obviously, that did really well. Had Psychosocial on it. Everybody knows that song from radio. He dies, and they put out their next album, which was their fifth album, was called Number 5, The Grey Chapter, named after Paul Gray, of course. Not a solid... It was a decent album, but I don't think it was Slipknot's best attempt and I think it showed in their mental state that they were still trying to get through Paul's death and losing somebody like that who was just he'd been there since the band started I mean it's a guy they've been friends with and playing with for well over a decade right but this is where I think their comeback happens so last year they put out an album called we are not your kind and it went number one right up Tons of good songs on it. Unsainted is probably one of their most successful songs of all time, arguably, based on views. The video was phenomenal. They had a real good tour for it. 
you know, I mean, think of the tour for that album. I saw that tour. They did it. They made it the Not Fest Roadshow, and they had mm-hmm. Gojira and Volbeat in that tour with them. I don't know about you, but I think I love We Are Not Your Kind. I can listen to it front to back. I think it is, and you also got to keep in mind, this was the first album without Joey Jordanson, too. So not only do you not have the original right. bass player, you don't have your original drummer who everybody, you know, pretty much bowed hand and knee to because Joey, God bless Joey Jordanson, he's still one of the best rock drummers of all time. But right. this 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 album is insanity. What like It just, it skyrocketed, you know? They haven't, right. you know, it was the first really big successful album for them since 2008. So it's been you know, 10 years for them. Do I ever think, do I think Slipknot ever came off of their plateau? No. But I think this help, this album helps solidify that like nobody's taking their, t- their spot at the top. Like in my opinion, they're, they're the top dogs when it comes to the metal world. And this album proves that nobody's touching them. Yeah. I think this album has redefined their brand to the next generation, to the Generation Xers, or I'm sorry, Generation Zers who have heard the band. They know them from maybe they've heard a Guitar Hero. Maybe that was before their time even, but they actually have heard music, new music from this band. And something else that I think is interesting, if I remember right, the drummer on this album is Bruce Springsteen's drummer's son, is the guy who recorded the drums and is touring with Slipknot. And I know a handful of people who weren't listening to Slipknot before that wanted to listen to this because they have a complete drumming prodigy son on this record. Who Jay so Weinberg. I think Jay that's Weinberg's phenomenal. And yes, he is. Um, yeah. He's the son of Max Weinberg. So Max, I think is the drummer for Bruce. But I know Jay right. did, Jay did a tour with Bruce for one year because Max was okay. Out. So then that might have created a, even more of a hype and a fan base. So when you look at this comeback album, they may have had more fans than ever waiting for an album. And when you have a chorus like from what you explained, Unsainted, that is so catchy. And in my opinion, I'm of course I'm going to throw the word the word Stone Sour in there. I think it has a really Stone Sour structured chorus because the year before Stone Sour dropped an amazing album yep. and Cord Taylor has been singing better than ever. He understands the fine balance of his vocal ability when he should shout, when he should have the instrumentals coming. I, I think when you listen to the album, this is what Slipknot has wanted to do for a long time. And they did the best album they possibly could at the right time. Well, and keep in mind, Jay played in Madball for a year, which is an old hardcore band. And then he right. played, he was the drummer Set for against, yeah. he was the drummer for Against Me before he was for Slipknot. This kid's twenty nine. Right. He's twenty nine. He's played with Bruce Springsteen against me for two years, and now he's the drummer for Slipknot. How crazy is that? So you have punk rockers that love against me they're gonna check out the album listen to his drumming because slipknot had to hire a drummer that was going to be their own his own sound 
just like Jordison, right? Well, I had the pleasure had of seeing up with what Jordison was playing in those first few albums. That's, right. That's tough. It's real tough. Some of the kick patterns and stuff in there is like the handwork is fine. It's quick, but if you're a good drummer, you can do the quick handwork. It's the footwork with Joey Jordison that is incredible. Right. Where's your, where's Alex when we need him to comment on this? Alex, Alex will just. He knows a lot more about this than I do. Oh, he would jizz He's all over this discussion. All right. And last but not least, I know it's not very rock realm, but I left this because I really want to talk about it. 2018 at midnight, Eminem drops an album. No marketing beforehand. Zero. Nobody knew a damn thing about it. Just drops an album called Kamikaze. And it went number one immediately almost overnight went number one an album that had zero mar- zero pre-marketing done nobody even knew this album was coming out he just at midnight was like hey check it out new album and just dropped it out of nowhere i want to talk about this because this was his first number one album since 2009 when relapse was out and most people didn't like relapse so they'd argue eminem didn't have an eminem sound since 2004 with encore he puts out Recovery, Marshall Mathers, LP2, and Revival, and they all tank. They each have a number one hit on them on Billboard. But it's generally something with like Rihanna or somebody who's featured in it. But the album's tanked right. overall. Puts out Kamikaze, has all these number one hits, goes number the album goes number one, which is a first time in years for him. And he had a song on it named Venom, which was wrote specifically for the Venom movie, which was very successful with Tom Hardy in it. I don't know if you delve into that realm a lot, but I wanted to talk about Kamikaze because it's the first Eminem album for me in years that I can listen to front to back. Yeah. He doesn't tour a lot, but this is a comeback. This is a comeback because he had three albums that even everybody commercially trashed him for. He got destroyed for those three albums. Everybody talked shit on him, and he puts this album out, Kamikaze. Not only does he make an impact that, hey, I'm still top dog, but he trashes 20, 30 different people in this album. He just trashes everybody. And the biggest one, of course, is MGK, which turned into a feud between the two of them. And, I, you know, you can sound off on what you feel, but my feelings for MGK aside, I think Eminem ran him over. Well, if it wasn't for Eminem, there would be no MGK. Oh, that, that put him more on the map, of course. It was... I, I think it was a public, uh, marketing move on MGK's part, and Eminem took the bait, trashed him in a song, and then MGK was like, all right, this is my chance to make my name known for going after him. Puts out a song, does pretty well. It's a good follow-up song, and then Eminem puts out Kill Shot, and you don't hear a word from him ever since. Right. You know, we're talking about a guy who started in you know, hip hop clubs in DC or not DC and Detroit, literally going to rap battles. Yeah. You watch eight mile, you see it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's glamorized a little bit, but I mean, that's what Detroit is. It's, it's dirty. It's dirty, man. And I'm sure I'm going to take flack for that, but I live in Philadelphia and Philadelphia. I don't live in Philadelphia. I live in Pennsylvania and Philly's garbage. There's plenty of spots in Pittsburgh that you shouldn't go. You know, the point is every every town sucks. I don't want to hear you complain when I trash Detroit. Every town has its faults. I don't want to hear it. Ask people in Florida. It's not as nice as you think. <laughs> Florida's an old folks home with a lot of panhandle behavior, but it's a different rant and topic. The plot so. to bomb the panhandle. <laughs> okay. So, all right. 
Well, do you have any any comments, any follow ups to any albums that you think we didn't discuss that should be a follow up or a comeback album? Yeah, I have a couple things if we have time. Yeah. Throw. On the Eminem note, I remember when it dropped like on midnight every single Friday. I listened to the new releases, and when I went to the new releases for that week, I was shocked to see it was an Eminem album. I listened to it a couple times. It's not my favorite. Do I understand when it went number one? Absolutely. Are there good songs on it? Yes. The production's awesome. There's a lot of thought into the album. I like Eminem. Just didn't like this album. That aside, some comeback albums that I think we need to mention. On the hip-hop side of things, A Tribe Called Quest dropped an album in 2016, right before 2017 hit. And I believe it's called We The People. It's really good. If you enjoy classic hip-hop, it pretty much picks up right where they left off, and it features De La Soul as well. In the land uh, of Tooth & Nail Records that I I really enjoy, this band wasn't signed to Tooth & Nail, but definitely toured and was identified in that scene. The band Acceptance, they're known for their full-length Phantoms that came out in 2003 or 2004. They came out with an album just a couple years ago that captures a whole different sound, but it doesn't suck. And it's a really good comeback album in that regard. Another band that is a Tooth & Nails band, Tooth & Nail Records band, is a band called Number One Gun. And while they never were a super big band, they have a really good first record, Promises for the Imperfect. And they came out with an album probably in 2014 or 2015. And it pretty much picks up their sound right where they left off when they first started. So that is what I think of when I think of a comeback record. You can go the whole route with Deftones too. I'm a big Deftones fan. So I believe their next album will be an example of a comeback album. But their release that they had about four years ago was certainly different, but it was a taste of Deftones and where they're at currently. And I think that's the most important part of all of this is seeing how bands evolve and recognizing the differences from how they originally sounded to where they evolve. And then in the case where I brought up the un- underrated band, in my opinion, Number One Gun, they want to return to their original roots because that's where they came from and they saw that that was the music that put them on the map. So that is my thought. Those are my final thoughts on this topic. I have a good Deftone story if you want it. Yeah. So I was playing a show out your way with the uh, cover band one time. I was out in, uh, I was out in Bridgeville area. Um, sure. Yeah, 31 Sports Girl. Oh, yeah. Owned by Ken Wengright, former Pittsburgh Penguins goalie. So if you ever get a chance, go out there. Ken's awesome. He's always there hanging out usually. He'll talk to you. He's got this... He's got this great picture on the wall. I get that big picture of him just decking a Flyers player right right near the goal. It's great. It's a good picture. But uh, oh, so you're a Penguins fan? Oh, absolutely. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm a Penguins fan. Penguins and then uh, Penguins in Vegas. I go back and forth. I was a big Mark sure. Andre Fleury guy. So when he jumped ship, I was like, ah. But uh, I mean. They kept benching him and putting Murray in, so he needed to leave. But um, 
Yeah, I'm a, I go back and forth. I, I actually feel Sidney Crosby's good, but I feel like he's overrated because I don't think he would be as good without that having the team that he does backing him. Sure. Yeah. I could be wrong. I said that about LeBron for a while, and then he went back to Cleveland and won another t- title without having Dwayne Wade and everybody who was stacked on the Heat. But anyway, so right. back on topic here. So we're playing a show. We're doing covers, uh, 90s, 2000s rock. Same shit you do. And a guy comes up and comments to us and asks us if we were racist. And I said, why Why would you say that? It was like, well, every song you're playing is by a white guy. I was like, okay. Yeah, boy. Yeah, this this is a weird this is a weird story. It, it's just the, the, oh, man. It, it's to show a level of ignorance to me. I think so. He he says, "Can you play something by like a black artist?" I said, um, "Sure." Do you want to play guitar? And, I, and his comment was, "Because I mean, I'll let anybody play guitar if they want." His comment was, sure. "There's no good black guitar players in the history of music." Oh my God! Every one wow. of us in our band named somebody like Jimi Hendrix, Deftones, which is why I even thought of this. You know, Prince, and they were the guy was like, he just walked away. He just looked at us and walked away. Wow! You come and call me racist, and you don't even know any black guitar players. Come on, man, what are you doing here? Wow! Yeah, so level of ignorance in today's society. Nobody even knows who Jimi Hendrix is anymore. It's disturbing. But or that they, they don't even know that there's a black guy in the Deftones. Like, come on. Like, right. Not that it matters to me. I don't care what color you are. If you write good music, I'm going to listen to it. But just the fact that somebody would come up and say that to me is just. I absolutely agree. No, uh, diversity is a great thing. And it's it's going to be in all all forms of media. And it's it's acceptance, man. It's it's an artistic expression. And that's that's huge. It's a cool story. God bless snowflakes. Today's moral they eventually from, melt. Today's moral from Ryan and the Ginger is don't be a snowflake. And if you're a snowflake, I'm going to nickname you porcelain. You're going to eventually melt because yeah, the sun break. will always be around. All right, that's our uh, that's our episode today. It was a good episode. It was fun. So Really? I thought it was our worst. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Why? Cuz I was leading it. No. No, because I wasn't staying on track. I was totally talking about the album and I wasn't reflecting on why it was a comeback album, but we'll get better at it. That's fine. They can, they can tell us what they think. They'll say you're wrong, Ryan, or maybe they'll say, Ryan, you sucked that episode. You know, what the hell, man, get your head in the game, you know, pep talk, pep talk. But either way, I I had fun. I like talking about that. That was a fun one to research and think about. And Yeah. Shoegaze. Loveless. I also never realized that Blizzard of Oz was Ozzy's first solo album after Black Sabbath. So that was kind of cool to find out and look into. So, but anyway, that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this ain't a scene. If you like this episode, please comment, give us four or five stars so we can climb whatever chart we find ourselves on. If any, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, probably don't tell your grandma. She's probably not going to like anything we're talking about, but we talked about some grandma bands. Yeah, maybe. maybe. More like dad. Tell dad. Dad might like this. but No Eddie Vedder yet, but eventually. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Thank you so much again. My name is Drew Zimmerman. This is my co-host as always. Ryan Sharp. And have a good day, everybody. Take care.